Let's all stand together. Let's stand together. I'm so glad. And I haven't said a word about it so far this week, but since tonight's last night, I'll just go ahead and tell you that normally when you sing a song like uh, Jesus Lifted Me and I'm So Glad, normally people will smile. They will. I know it's hard to believe. But you know that old saying, uh, do what I say or listen to what I say, not what I do. Do what I do, not what I say. How does that go, Brother Michael? Okay, thank you. Uh, if you say, I'm so glad, but you look so sad, that doesn't carry much weight, does it? So when we sing this song, the last time we're going to sing this song today. Today. Last time we're going to sing it today. Let's make it believable, okay? I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Are you favorite hymns in this book. It's, it's one of my favorites because it's kind of peppy. And it's one of my favorites because it's easy to remember. And it's one of my favorites because the message is amazing. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, so that He could devote that sacred head to such a worm as I. Oh, He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. This I know. Let's sing the first and last verses. <laughs> 130, 130. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? He loves me, he loves me, he loves me. says that uh, because he first loved us, we love him. Let's change the words to that chorus. Instead of he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, this I know. Let's make that, let's reverse that just a little bit. After all he's done for me, I love him, I love him, I love him, this I know. He gave himself to die for me, and now I love him so. Can we change that? Real quick, let's just try it. I usually can't do this because it's just too complicated, but 
I love him, I love him, I love him, this I know. He gave himself to die for me, and now I love him so. Let's try it. Ready? I love him, I love him, I love him, this I know. He gave himself to die for me, and now I love him so. That was excellent. Hymn number 88. Hymn number 88. Love divine, oh, love's excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come now. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. All thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Just us ladies on the second. Breathe, oh, breathe, I love you. every trouble past. Let us all in the Let us Guys, come almighty to deliver, let us all my life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing, serve thee as thy host above. Pray and praise with thee. Slow it down and enjoy the last verse. Ready? Finish then my new creation, pure and spotless. Let us be. Let us see thy great salvation. Perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory.
adore Thee. We worship and we love Thee. We worship and adore Thee. Glorify Thy name. Let's sing that first verse one more time. It's so beautiful. And just sing it. I close my eyes and just make this my prayer to Him as we sing. Ready? Here we go. Father, we love Thee. We worship and adore Thee. Glorify Thy name in all the earth. Glorify Thy name. One more time. the church was talking about having revival and we talked about who to get I think the Lord's Holy Spirit helped us all and these two men have been used of the Holy Spirit used of the Lord to prepare our hearts with song and to hear the word through a message. And God has spoken through both of these gentlemen. And I thank the Lord for these two gentlemen allowing themselves to be used of God. And I'm so thankful that God helped us to come to this meeting, come to this time. God knew exactly what we needed. And I'm thankful to Brother Allen. I'm thankful to Brother Joe. And it has been a good week. If you've not been here, of course, I've been introducing Brother Joe, but uh, Brother Allen is an associate pastor and minister of music at Harmony in Prattsville, Arkansas. His pastor is Brother Neil Pumphrey, and uh, he's being used to the Lord over there. So pray for Brother Allen, his ministry. Uh, pray for his wife, Anita, and I'm so glad she could join us several times this week and help us and bring in Archer. Pray for Archer and that he'd continue to grow and strengthen and be used of the Lord. And of course, I've introduced our speaker, Brother Joe Morell, pastor of Flatwoods Missionary Baptist Church in Mountain View, Arkansas, and he's been used of the Lord. He has not been there as a pastor very long. And for a little over a dozen years, or ever what the exact amount of time is, uh, Flatwoods had a missionary by the name of Joe Morell to Lithuania. And then Flatwoods called Brother Joe Morell as their pastor. And, of course, it was a tough time. I appreciate when Jimmy Stale and Brother Norman went with me uh, to the funeral. And uh, it was a tough one because his former pastor was uh, the youth director whenever I was uh, dating Karen. And so we go way back. And uh, and Karen and I have been be married 22 years. And then we, we had, I had to date her three before I could get her. And uh, so it, it uh, was God had a plan all along. So it's been a good week, Brother Joe. It's been some great fellowship, very refreshing I hope we've been able to be a, as much a blessing to you as you've been to us. And so I think we've got a couple of specials. Turn it back over to Brother Allen after Brother Allen. Go come preach.
told my sisters I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm Jimmy, I'm Jimmy Craig's son. <laughs> so that says it all. Now, all I want to say is God works in mysterious ways. And He has got a plan for each and every one of us. We may not realize what it is from the start. But God has no start and end. It can start now. So uh, when God's got a plan for us, let's follow his will. I prayed and I said, Master, I know a man. He needs you so. Please take hold of this week and I want to commend everyone that have used their talents for the Lord for his glory and that's what it's all about and I thank you very much I want to echo everything that uh, brother Allen said thank you all of you for your hospitality the good food the fellowship yeah it's been a very very enjoyable week I'm a Civil War buff and we went over to Vicksburg today after going over there I wanted to start off the service with Dixie tonight (laughs) But uh, uh, we had a good time, and I appreciate the Reese's and their hospitality. I really do. Also, I want to commend you as a church for you by faith, stepping out by faith in the area of missions and sending out Brother Joel Dillahunty and the work there in Belize. We have three men from our church that will be flying out Friday morning. And uh, they'll be flying down to Belize to work with him. And I ask that you uh, uh, pray uh, for them, Matt uh, and Bart. And uh, just remember them in your prayers. Also, Zach. And uh, that God will use them and there'll be a blessing there. Also, I ask that you pray for me tomorrow morning. I'll be leaving here tonight, going to Little Rock. And then tomorrow morning, I've got an early flight to fly down to Florida. Uh, working with uh, former Soviet Russians. Uh, we started uh, a Bible Institute, a training institute. All of these are immigrants uh, 
from the former Soviet Union, from several, uh, from Russia, from the Ukraine, from Belarus, uh, from Lithuania, from several countries. And uh, many of them have already answered the call to go back to their home countries and uh, just pray for us. We'll be down there teaching the next three days uh, uh, in this institute. You know, God is so great and God is so wonderful. We went to Lithuania in 1997 as a missionary uh, for the purpose of establishing the Lithuanian Missionary Baptist Institute for the purpose of training pastors and missionaries to go forth and preach the gospel and plant and establish churches. Uh, We had our first graduating class in 2001, and at that time we also had a Lithuanian faculty. We saw that coming to a close, and they're doing the work themselves. And then 2001, I got a call from a Russian pastor in Riga, Latvia, which was four and a half hours to the north. And they said, listen, we've heard about your school. We've heard about the curriculum. We have so many Russians in this area that need training, need teaching. Could you come and do that? So in 2001, we went there, spent four years in the Bible Institutes, establishing one there, uh, uh, training Russian pastors. 2005, we had a graduating class. <clears throat> in fact, I was planning on at that time coming back to the States, and I'd been asked uh, to, to start a missions department in the seminary in Florida, and they'd already offered it to me. In fact, I'd flew in the Florida to tell the president of the school, Brother Ray McAllister, that I was accepting I was going to be moving back to the States. And as I walked into his office, I checked the email. I said, May I check my email before we talk? And there was a email from a Russian pastor by the name of Pavel Voronenko in Helsinki, Finland. He said, I've heard about your school in Riga. I've heard about your school in Latvia. We have a Russian church here. But not only that, there are Russians across the board in Russian. Russian pastors need teaching, need training, need equipping. Could you come to Helsinki and start a school? So we went there and started the school in Helsinki, Finland with with uh, students coming in from Russia, from Estonia, from Finland. And we finished that up in 2009, had our first graduating class there, came back to the States. I get a phone call one month later from a Russian uh, by the name of John Pinkovich, who actually lives in Florida. And he was in Helsinki working with Brother Voronenko uh, with Youth Camp. He said, listen, I've heard about your school, I've heard about the training, and we have 20 Russian Baptist churches in, in Florida. All of these are immigrants and were the underground persecuted churches in Russia. Could you come and start a school? At that time, we'd also started missionary training ministry. And so that school was started in January. Also, two years ago, we started missionary training ministry uh, and working with uh, Missionary Baptist Seminary, John Pinkovich went through all the training. He is a former, he is a Russian Jew that immigrated to the United States 20 years ago. He has answered the call to go to Israel to be a missionary in Jerusalem to the Jews, underground churches among the Jewish people. He's gone through the training. He moved to Jerusalem two weeks ago. So pray for John Pinkovich. And it's just amazing how God brings it all together. I mean, it went from Mountain View, Arkansas. Well, let's just back it on up further. It goes all the way back to Jerusalem when Jesus said, go into all the world. And then it went to Mountain View, Arkansas. Then it went to Countess, Lithuania. Then it went to Riga, Latvia. Then it went to Helsinki, Finland. Then it went to Tampa, Florida and now all the way back to Jerusalem. Only God can bring all that together. And so I commend you. Missions is my heart. And uh, again, uh, pray for me as we'll be flying out early in the morning. We've been looking at the book of Deuteronomy the last four nights. I've been trying to just pull out some nuggets for you because the book of Deuteronomy is about experiencing the good life. It's about experiencing promised land living. Moses is standing at the border looking over into the promised land. He cannot take them in, but he's preparing the hearts of the people for them to not only go in the land and to achieve the victory by faith in Jesus Christ, that they might 
not only enjoy the blessings of God to the praise of God, but they might be a blessing to all nations on earth. And I want to encourage you. We've only looked at a few verses. But I want to encourage you to take some time to read and let God speak to you through this wonderful book. Tonight we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And then we'll go over to chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And again, we keep hearing these, this phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord your God, that personal, intimate connection with the Lord. Now notice what, again, what Moses says to the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then notice what he says next. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And then I want you to go over to chapter 10. Chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 12. Again, Moses stands up before them and again he keeps bringing them to the heart of the matter. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight. The heart of the good life. The heart of promised land living is to love the Lord. To love the Lord your God. And notice again what he says beginning in verse 12 of chapter 10. And now Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God, with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and its statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Notice, there's the good life. There's promised land living. For thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord. It's thy God. The earth also with all that is therein is. Only the Lord had to delight in thy father's To love them. See, everything we sang about tonight ties into this. We love the Lord. The Lord loves us. And He chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and he loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things, which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons. That's that seventy that I talked about last night. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. And even as he wrote, they had enlarged to two million people. I want to ask a question. What do you expect from God? What do you want from God? What specifically do you want God to do for you? I remember years ago I asked that question and a lady came to me and she says, Well, preacher, I just want you to pray that I can win the publishing clearinghouse sweepstakes and I promise you I will give so much money to the church. Is that of any value at all? Would you want to give to God that which has cost you nothing? Nor any sacrifice on your part whatsoever? Remember David and Ornan and the threshing floor? Now listen to me. We tend to all have certain expectations of God. All of us do. 
Every time we pray, we articulate those expectations. We bring our petitions to Him, and not infrequently we bring our complaints, and we expect, and even our objections, and we expect the Lord God to do something about these things that trouble us or irritate us or take us out of our comfort zone. In other words, God, make my life easy and as trouble-free as possible. And so often that is our expectation of God. Listen to our prayer request in church. We all have these expectations of God that dominates our prayer life and even prayer meetings at church. And we tend to think, listen, we tend to think if we could get our expectations met, then we would enjoy the good life. Then we'd step into this promised land living. But I submit to you tonight that it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. In actual fact, Moses taught that we would derive greater benefit from meeting God's expectations than God meeting our expectations. And all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God is saying to them and He is saying to us as His very own covenant people, here are my expectations of you. And the good life is found by those whose heart's desire is to love the Lord, to please the Lord, to obey the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. This is God's expectation for you. This is the heart of the promised land. And we need to remember that God has some very, listen, God has some very clear-cut expectations of us. How much, how much of your prayer life focuses on God's expectations of you, or does it always focus on your expectations of God? Let's focus on this expectation that God has of us. What is it? The number one priority in your life, bar none, is to love the Lord your God. There's nothing more important. There's nothing higher. There is nothing more noble. There is nothing greater. The Lord's primary expectation of us is that we should love Him. And listen... Everything in your life is a reflection of the reality or the absence of a genuine, intimate, living, vital love for Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life. This is the basis of the good life. It is the heart of the good life. It is the very basis of promised land living. It is the summation. It is the expectation of the entire Word of God, the entire Bible, to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says this. Deuteronomy 10, verses 13 and 14. And I'll read these off to you. Deuteronomy 11, 1, to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy eleven twenty two again he repeats it. 13, 3, over and over and over and over. And then Jesus Himself repeated it in the New Testament. This is the number one priority in life, to love the Lord thy God. You say, I love the Lord. But so many times we connect to love the Lord our God. It's just a warm, fuzzy feeling. And I want you to see that it's much more, it's much more personal than that. It's much more spiritual than that. It's deeper than that. Now listen. It is the priority of life. But how is this priority of life reflected? It is a spiritual priority. It is a spiritual priority. When you look at your life, when you look at your spiritual life, 
you ought to see at the very core, the very, the very core of your being, a deep, intimate, personal, real love for the Lord God. This is what the Lord expects. Now listen, of course there are aids to help our spirituality. We have the Bible, we have prayer, we have our church, we have church fellowship, we have preaching, we have teaching, we have music, we have music directors, we have ministries, and all of these things are intended to do what? They are to be aids or tools to help us in developing this spiritual relationship of worship and love. But unfortunately, it is possible for these aids to become more important than the Lord Himself. You ever thought about that? It is possible to love the church or to love the choir or the preaching or the preacher or a certain type of music or an activity around the church even more than you love the Lord. And we can be actively involved in all of these things and not even really focus on a real intimate relationship and love for the Lord. And not infrequently in church life. You will find that people and things can really disappoint you. And not infrequently, you will find that fickle people become disappointed with the choir or with the music or the type of music or the preacher or the fellowship or the church or the structures of the church or the changes in the church or the facilities of the church and they drop out. What's the problem there? The one thing that will hold you firm, even when you are disappointed, is to love the Lord thy God above anything and everything most of all. I do not, listen, I do not preach to satisfy fickle people. I learned a long time ago, as a preacher and as a pastor, I can't please everybody, so I don't try anymore. I preach because I love the Lord. And one thing is sure, people who genuinely and intimately love the Lord their God do not waver. Their life is characterized not by fickleness, but by consistency. A consistent commitment to the Lord. Not only is it a spiritual priority, this expectation of the Lord, of this priority to love Him, but it is a relational priority. Jesus said, listen with the words of Jesus, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now this does not mean that we should not love our mother or our father or our children, our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren. But what does it mean? What do we mean by it being a relational priority? There may come a time when we have to decide on the top priority in our life, whether it's the Lord or our family, whether it's the Lord or our friends, if it's the Lord or the peer pressure that is around us. I want to share my heart with you tonight. I don't like talking about myself in this context, but I'm going to share it with you tonight. I left this country in 1997 and lived overseas, traveled in many countries, especially in the former Soviet Union. Lived there for 11 years. Went into Russia, Lithuania, which was a former Soviet Republic, Latvia, all those countries, Estonia. And not only that, God has afforded me the opportunity to travel in many countries of the world to help set up Bible Institute even beyond Eastern Europe. When the communist wall fell and the Lord opened the door for us to go in there, I began to meet many people who had been in the underground church during the Soviet times 
and the sacrifice that they made based upon this love for the Lord that I'm talking about was unbelievable. In Lithuania, I met people, pastored people, who because of their faith were sent off to Siberia for 20 years. People were beaten. Pastors were put in insane asylums. People were killed and slaughtered for the faith. I met people in Helsinki, Finland, who actually were Armenian refugees that actually fled from Azerbaijan. And these Christian, Armenian Christians, were persecuted not only by the Muslims, but by the Soviets. And they told stories of how that not only the Soviets, but the Muslims yoking up together would literally come in their neighborhoods and, 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 and literally mow people down with machine gun fire. I talked to a girl that was only 16 years old at the time, and she remembers her and her family just hitting the floor as machine guns, bullets just raked their house. Thousands of them were killed. And many of them as refugees were able to flee to free countries such as the U.S. and also into Finland. I met a Russian girl. In fact, she's a Russian Jew. That told the story that when she was just simply eight years old, they had an underground church deep in Russia and Moscow. KGB came through there to stop any type of worship service. And she was just an eight-year-old girl with a Sunday school teacher. And they could hear they could hear the soldiers and the agents outside the building. And that lady that loved the Lord, her God, with all of her heart and with all of her soul and with all of her might, told the children, shh, be quiet. And she continued to teach these little children a Sunday school lesson, whispering, knowing that the agents were outside. And they came in and they arrested her and sent her to prison for eight years for the crime of teaching little children the Bible. I've gone deep into the jungles of Thailand, right on the Burmese border, went back in there in four-wheel drive pickup, and, and, and there was a, 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 Karen, a Karen tribe village, bamboo huts, banana leaves. And these Karen tribe Christians had fled from Burma across the border into Thailand and their people had been slaughtered by the communists there in Burma. And for 11 years, 12 years, I, in missionary ministry, in traveling the world, I have been with people who have been in prison, who have been beaten. Their family members have been shot, killed, everything. And then I come back to the United States, the land of the free and the brave, and you have to plan church activities around ball tournaments. And church members playing in ball tournaments on Sunday instead of being in church. And I'm telling you, it makes me want to throw up. I'm having a hard time adjusting. Because I've, I've been with people and I see people who love the Lord, their God, with all their soul and with all their mind, even if it means being killed, even if it means being put in prison, even if it means being beaten. And our American churches are turning away from God as we sing praises to His name, but choose our own ways. That's why I say it's a relational priority. There comes a time 
if you love the Lord thy God, you have to say to your family, no more. Men, no more. No more. That, that you love the Lord thy God, that you love His way and His worship and His service and His church more than anything else. And you have to say, hey, listen, I've led my family the wrong way. No more. It's a relational priority. And it's a motivational priority. You see, if I love the Lord my God, it can move me to all types of sacrifices. And I just shared some of those. But if my motivation is not genuine love for the Lord, there's going to be a void in my life and a lack of commitment, and I will be just pushed and shoved with all of these things that are vain and worthless and empty. You see, our motivation, our spirituality, and our relationships must be governed by the Lord Himself and that deep love for Him from our heart. He is to be number one in our hearts. And that, listen, that is His expectation. The priority is to love the Lord your God. The second thing I want you to look, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 once again. What is the reality of this? This love the Lord your God again. It's not just something where you just come to revival meeting and you get a warm, fuzzy feeling and you get all excited and then you just go back living the way you've done with the wasted priorities. But I want, I want to talk to you. Not only is this number one priority, but I want to talk to you about the, the reality of this. To completely love the Lord thy God. And notice how he describes it in verse 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Note, I want you to notice, loving the Lord is number one priority, spiritually, motivationally, relationally. But what does that mean to love God? You know, I can tell you I love the Lord, and I can also tell you I love deer hunting. I love the Lord and I love cheeseburgers. Does that put it on the same level? How do we love God? Is it mere words? Do we love God the same way we love a friend? That we love our spouse or a family? Do we love God the same way we love a job? Or we like hunting? Or we like fishing? Or we like sports? How do we love God? Moses clarifies it. And he says, you love Him with all of your heart. You love Him with all of your soul. And you love Him with all of your might. That's what it means. And these three words aren't put there to just for beautiful window dressing. <laughs> that sounds so lovely in our King James English. But they show us in very practical terms what it really means to love God. It's more than just words. He says to love Him with all your heart. What is this? Here's heart reality. Heart reality. And over and over in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 10, chapter 8, chapter 13, He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, and what do we mean by the heart? In this context, it means our mindset. That is, our lives to a very large extent are governed by our mindset. Whatever is in our mind, is of primary importance. That is where our heart is. That's what controls our heart. And we should have a mindset that places God and love for Him as the central thing. Do you? What captivates your attention? What gets you excited talking about? What captivates your mindset as the focus of your life? Why do I ask that? Because there is a tendency for us to be external in our religion, but to be absolutely superficial in our spirituality. And God is looking for internal reality. You see, we all, we have outward rituals that we do as a church. The Lord's Supper, for example. You do not have to be very smart, very strong, or very holy to take a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice and partake of that with a sober 
holy look on your face. But inwardly, spiritually, in the heart, your mindset, I am focusing on the bread of life. I am focusing on the blood of Christ as I remember His blood that was shed for me and He as the bread of life who alone satisfies for sin and alone sets me free from the power of sin. But yet I can take these elements without any sense of reality taking place in my heart because there is no spiritual mindset. And we do this, folks. We can do it with singing. And then notice in verse 5, he also says to love the Lord thy God with all thy soul. What does that mean? Heart love has to do with our mindset. Soul love has to do with what we feel inside, our emotions. Let me illustrate it. And I, I think everybody can relate to this and identify with this. You've seen people or maybe you've done this yourself, that stand up to sing specials in the church. They have a marvelous talent. They have a marvelous voice. And they sing. And the the notes are perfect. The music is perfect. Their voice is perfect. The words are perfect. And it comes across like an absolute performance. And then you've seen people who maybe their talent is not even good, like, as good as the one I've described. And they stood up before the church and you knew the truth that they sing had reached down into their soul and it grabbed them and it touched them. And what they were singing about was real and alive. And they just sang from their heart and there was an, a power, there was an anointing, there was a, 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 a live spirit that came forth from that singing, and you just knew it was of God. That's what we call soul. Listen, I preach with soul, and I preach without soul. But I guarantee you when I preach with soul, anybody's around me knows it's coming from deep within with all of my heart and with all of my emotions and all of my being. And then he, told, he tells us also to love the Lord with all of our strength or might. You see, heart deals with your mindset. Soul deals with your emotional intensity. But strength carries it into the, the next step. It carries it to the will. The will. For you see, I have not worshipped if I have not submitted my will to the truth of what has been presented about the Lord my God. And whatever your initial attraction to the Lord may have been, this has to be solidified by commitment. My will is settled, O Lord. It is settled, O Lord. You are my Lord. And I commit myself to your will. And then third and lastly, notice the intensity of all of this. God's expectation is to love the Lord, thy God. God, God that, is, that is the priority of God. But not only this, God says, I want, let me show you the reality of this, to love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. But then I want you to see the intensity of it. What is it that motivates us to love the Lord? What's the driving force behind it? The driving force behind loving the Lord is knowing the Lord. Knowing the Lord. Why is it that some people can't get a grip on this? To love the Lord is your mindset, to feel that emotional intensity, to be settled with this life-changing commitment... Why do some people not get a grip on it? It's because it's connected to how much you know the Lord. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, I had a speaking appointment as a guest speaker in a church. 
I got there early. There was one of the men there that was opening up the church, turning on the lights and all that. And he began to talk to me and he says, well, I want you to look. We just remodeled our building. Uh, we just repaved our parking lot. And he began to tell me all of these things. We got a new church library in the church. And, uh, you know, we really like our preacher. We got some good music here. And he was telling me about all the different things in the church. And I looked at him and I said, well, what about the Lord? What's the Lord doing with you right now? Let's talk about the Lord. And he looked at me and he said, I've got to go check the air conditioner in the other building. He could talk about the new roof. He could talk about the new carpet. He could talk about the new library. He could talk about the singing. He couldn't talk about the Lord. Who is this God? Go to chapter 10 hurriedly. He's the God of creation. Notice what it says in chapter 10 in verse 14. Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God, the earth also with all there is. Do you believe that? He is the God of creation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that by His, not only by His creative power and who He is, but by His creative rights, Everything belongs to Him, including you. Everything that you are belongs to Him as Creator. Everything that you have belongs to Him. And if you are grateful for what you have, to whom, to whom are you grateful? He created all that you have. And to know Him as Creator is to love Him. Not only this, He's the God of affection. Look at verse 15. Only the Lord had the delight in thy fathers to love them, and He chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Not only is this, He's the Almighty God of creation, but He's the God of affection. He is the Creator of glory, but He is the one whose warmth and concern and grace and love reaches down personally and intimately and says, Come unto me. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want you to understand my love and my personal relationship with you. He's the God of perfection. Look at verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. He's perfect. What does that mean? Who is this Lord that we can love? The one who's absolutely consistent. What ticks us off about people? Inconsistency. What makes you like someone? Consistency. What makes you love the Lord? Consistency. He is absolutely consistent. He is totally faithful. He is one in whom you can totally, absolutely put your trust. Look at verse 18. He's the God of compassion. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger. In other words, he loves the unlovable and giving him food and raiment. He loves the helpless. And we like to say God helps those who helps themselves. That verse says, no, God helps those who cannot help themselves. He's the God of adoration. Look at verse 21. Look at this. For when you know who the Lord is, you love him. And when you love Him, you worship Him. And when you worship Him, you praise Him. Why? He's the God of adoration. He is thy praise. He is thy God that have done for, these, for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. He's your praise. Fear Him. Give Him that reverential respect. He is awesome. He is holy. He is almighty. And let us solemnly humble ourselves in His presence. Don't ever take Him lightly. But most of all, He's the God of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. And the reason so many people have such a difficulty in loving the Lord, again I repeat, because you can't love somebody who you don't know. And if we are to take seriously what it means to know God and to love God, this promised land living, 
in all of its fullness, we will learn to fear him, to reverence him, to follow his leading, to obey his commands, to love his people, to enter into his presence, and to worship his name. So the recipe for a promised land living, the recipe of this good life, is not, and I repeat, it is not to make demands of God and God meeting our expectations, but it's rather us meeting God's divine expectations. And what is that expectation? To love the Lord. To love the Lord. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? And why do we love Him? We love Him because He first loved us. You cannot love of God that you do not know. And I want, you cannot love of God, you cannot love a God that you do not know. And if you do not know God, I'd like to introduce that God to you. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, the God who came down to this earth to make himself known to man. Not only to make himself known, but to redeem us from our sins and to give us eternal life and to enter into our life and give us a new heart, a new priority, a new purpose for living. And having been loved, we love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. Do you love God? That's the heart of promised land living. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. You are the creator. You are the compassionate one. You are the gracious one. You are the reliable one. You are the faithful one. And Lord, we love you. And help us to understand, Lord, that these words, this word love is not just mere words but it's to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might, that is our will and brokenness and submission unto you. Father, if there be one here that is a stranger to your love, they've never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that tonight they will come to you in repentance before you as a holy God and call upon you for mercy and be saved. Father, I pray if there be one here that has been saved, but they've just been walking superficially, talking about the love of God, but never loved you intently. But tonight, Lord, that'll change, and they'll cross over Jordan and enter into this promised land living. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Perhaps uh, God's spoken to your heart. If the Holy Spirit's spoken to your heart, and there's a time you need to make a commitment and talk to the Lord have that personal relationship renewed. Perhaps you need to come to this altar, whatever it might be. You respond as the Spirit of God directs.